peace. Uh, if you have your Bibles, turn to the book of Philippians. We're going to be there for these next few weeks. The book of Philippians, a letter written long ago, but has so much relevance uh, to our lives today. We'll put it on the screen in just a moment. But uh, good to be with you this morning. Thanks for being here on a summer Sunday. You know, in baseball, any baseball fans in the room, it's kind of the height of, of the baseball season. And in baseball, if the, the guy who throws the first pitch is the same guy who throws the last pitch, it's called a, it's called a complete game. So one pitcher, same game, beginning to end, complete game. Doesn't happen much anymore. Do you guys, anybody have a favorite Major League Baseball team? I know some of our pastors do for Nick Crawford. Uh, some of you know this. He loves the Baltimore Orioles. I don't know why I ask him, and he, I still don't understand even after I ask him the question. But Nick loves the Baltimore Orioles. He's a big fan. He's been to the ballpark. He's got Orioles stuff in, in, at home and in his office. He loves the Baltimore Orioles. Van Harden is a Chicago Cubs fan. He's a big fan. He's been to the ballpark. He's got a portrait of Wrigley Field up in his office. Uh, my wife is a Dodgers fan. Well, not really, but she's from there. Uh, anyway, but look, take those, three, take those three teams, the Orioles, the Dodgers, and the Cubs. They've all played 88, 89 games, respectively, this spring and summer. And you know how many guys have come in and pitched a complete game? Zero. No complete games, but you go back, you go back to the early 1900s, from 1900 to 1910, a guy named Jack Taylor uh, pitched, you ready for this, 187 consecutive complete games. That's astonishing if you know the sport of baseball. I'm looking at a few baseball coaches in the room uh, today. Back then, a manager would hand the, the baseball to a pitcher, and the expectation was, hey, you start the game, you finish the game. Nowadays, that, that doesn't happen much uh, at all. We pay guys $25 million a year, but not to finish, just to start. In fact, there's a, so few guys finish a, a complete game of baseball, there's a new statistical category called a quality start. And here's what makes up a quality start. If a guy pitches six innings, not nine, not eight, not seven, just six innings, and gives up three or less earned runs, it's called a quality start. Isn't that wonderful? You don't have to finish. Just give us a quality start. And when you start to struggle, we'll bring in a relief pitcher from the bullpen, and he will relieve you. When I worked at another church, I pastored there and we had an area down front where the pastors would hang out and some of us would playfully call it the bullpen. Nobody else knew this, but we called it the bullpen. And that made me wonder, it put some seeds of thought in my head. And I, I, sometimes I wondered if, you know, the sermon is going badly, would someone come up and say, you know, you just don't have it today. We're going to bring in a reliever to take care of the message. Uh, think about how good it would be in other relationships. You're married, the argument that you're in with your spouse is not going well, and the wife says, hey, I think I'll take a relief husband at this point. Like, it, it doesn't work that way in life, does it? In fact, really what doesn't work in life is this idea of quality start. Some of you, I hope you dial into this early in life, but quality starts don't matter that much. Better than a bad start. But what matters is the follow-through. What matters is the finish. And today, I want you to leave with a verse memorized. Any of you have memorized the Bible? Some of you tell me, I can't memorize the Bible. Well, yes, you can, unless you're really, really dumb. But you can. Most of you really can. And you're going to leave knowing this verse today. We're going to say it out loud. It's Philippians 1.6. And it says this in the ESV. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day 
of Jesus Christ. I am sure of this. He who began a good work in you will bring it to to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Now let me tell you, for me personally, I submit to you today that this passage means a ton to me. In a very personal level, and even an emotional level, this has brought a lot of joy into my life. When Fondren started almost seven years ago, we started with three values. Gospel enjoyment, intentional community, and prayerful mission. And in these weeks ahead, you'll see these in this book of Philippians. And I want to hone in today, particularly on gospel enjoyment. When you hear the word gospel, I don't know what you think of, but do you think of joy? And do you have joy? Anybody know the most uh, common, most popular worldwide emoji that's sent? It's the joy emoji. It's the big smiley face. It's universally recognized that we all want more joy. If you want more joy in life, just nod your head. Like you'd like to, you'd like to have more happiness. You would like to have more joy. You would like there to be more enjoyment. It's universally recognized that we long for that. And you know, we have sports to make our lives more fun. We have hobbies to make our lives more interested. We have books and television shows and Netflix and all to make us more fascinated by things. We have books and the internet to make us more informed. We have toys and gadgets and devices to make our lives more efficient. We have vacations to make us more relaxed. And we have social events to make us more connected. We possess those things. Probably everybody in this room possesses those things in good measure. But are any of those results produced in our lives? Are we experiencing those things? Did you go on a vacation? Did you come back more relaxed? Okay. Do we have joy? Do we have joy in our lives? And this to me, this letter written so long ago, has for me been an anchor. And it has produced joy. In college, I had a couple of roommates. And we were transitioning in life from getting in trouble and doing dumb things to trying to to follow Jesus and live in community, live in intentional community. And we wanted to, to... uh, redeem our time and we wanted to uh, share our lives with others and we wanted to get deeper into scripture and learn from it and live live it out and so we were challenged we challenged each other to memorize this book of philippians it's only four chapters and we decided that since we were sort of slackers that we weren't going to do it unless there was punishment involved so the punishment was push-ups okay if you didn't know your verses then you would have to do push-ups. I got really good at doing push-ups. I can do a lot of push-ups today. But then I got tired of the push-ups. It was cumulative, and I thought, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come from behind here and get this right and memorize this book. And I did, and we did. There were no slackers in this group, and we uh, had a great night of worship and fellowship as we just quoted Philippians together. It took a long time, but we had food, and we quoted the, 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 this letter written so long ago. And it struck me, though, honestly, it struck me the, the nature of the letter and what it talks about and the disparity that was in my life. And you see, I was having some trouble. I was stressed about something in the future. Anybody worry about something that's probably not going to happen? And, and, and I thought, you know, I'm more negative and irritable and stressed. I mean, Philippians was calling me to, in Christ, experience a life that's more joyful and more grateful and more generous. A, a study, a reputable study by California Berkeley, 
said that people that are negative, irritable, stressed, those that are moody, particularly moody, they have fewer friends, less intimacy, they're not very generous, and they're more self-absorbed. Does anybody need a study from Cal Berkeley to realize that? And that's what Philippians, this letter that we're going to look at, talks about. Uh, it's a beckon, a call for us to move away from being negative and irritable and stressed to be joyful, grateful, and generous, and to experience this enjoyment of the gospel. It says the word joy, rejoice, joyful, many times through. And though I had memorized this book long ago, I needed it more. I needed it to be a part of my life, and that could be you today. So what I want to do is this passage that we put up, I want us to um, go, just a simple structure here so everyone will be able to follow me. Uh, We're going to go phrase by phrase in the balance of our time and talk about it this morning. And I believe the most important uh, word in the whole sentence is the first word. Notice Paul doesn't say, you who began a good work in you. He doesn't say that because you didn't begin anything. He says, he who began a good work in you. A little bit of backdrop. Paul is in Asia Minor. The Jesus movement had started. He was one of the most intelligent people in the world. He had a dramatic experience, and he went as a pastor, as a church planter, as an apologist, as a thinker, and he was in the Asia Minor region. He had no plans to go to this city called Philippi. But God closed the door. God thwarted his plan. Can anybody say that this morning? Have you seen God do that? You know, he will. There was something that happened and he had a vision. Paul was trying to sleep one night and he had a vision of a a community called Macedonia. And he followed up on this vision. He went to Macedonia and the city of Philippi is there in Macedonia. And the city of Philippi at the time probably didn't have enough Jewish men in the community to even have a synagogue. So Paul and his guys go to the river. They're looking for a place to pray and they run into people, a very diverse, listen church, a very diverse ethnic group of people. And there he meets a woman named Lydia. And some of us are confused about gender roles in the church. And here is God saying, here's this woman, and I'm going to use her with Paul and you guys to help start this church. And they have church together. And how significant is this? And look at Acts 16, verse 14. One of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. Let me translate that. That meant she was a successful businesswoman doing very well for herself. She was a worshiper of God. And I love this. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. Hear me. The he, not the you, but the he, he who began a good work, the he does both. He blocks your way. He thwarts plans like he did with Paul. And he opened the heart of Lydia. He does that. He does that. No one would have whiteboarded this, but back up and let me give you a context so you can appreciate this. This was a church that began. No one would have whiteboarded this. No one, have called, no one would have called these people together where they were called and how they were called. But here the church begins and understand the significance. This is the first time the gospel is ever preached in what is now the continent of Europe. He began. Paul would say, hey, I have seen him. This is not me. This is not my plans. Any of you guys whiteboard? Any of you got your plans written out with details about the next 90 days or so? That's all fine and good. God bless you. I hope your dreams come true. But I just want to tell you that the he who begins a good work, the he will block doors and the he will thwart plans and the he will open up doors and hearts and he'll make changes to things 
that you expect. And that is the he. And I want to say that the he, the he who begins a good work in you is also the he that has power. To be clear, you didn't begin anything. You didn't convict yourself of sin. You didn't create or design your genes or your life. This is not your life. It is not your own. He started this work in you. And the one who started this work, he has power. He has power. He has power to part the Red Sea so the people can cross. He has power to turn water into wine so they can celebrate a wedding. He has power to bring water out of a rock so that the thirsty people can drink. He has power to calm a storm so they would know that He is the Savior. He has power to touch the skin and heal the skin of a leper. He has the power to close the mouth of Zechariah for nine months. He has the power to change the heart of Pharaoh. He has the power to change the heart of Nebuchadnezzar. He has the power to deliver Israel from Egypt. He has the power to deliver David from Goliath. He has the power to deliver Elijah from Jezebel. He has the power to deliver Esther from Ammon. He has the power to deliver three boys from a fiery furnace. He has the power to deliver Daniel from the lion's den. He has the power to deliver a little baby boy in a manger from the awful King Herod. He has the power. He has the power to keep his promises and honor his commitment and pull you out and see you through. He has the power. And if we were a different church, someone right now would say amen. Someone would say it, but at least smile and look happy. Or I'm going to go to another church in a few weeks. He has the power. And can I say to you, I'm walking through some stuff and I need His power in my life. And can I tell you, I'm seeing Him work. All right? I'm seeing Him work and some of you need His power in your life. And He who began a good work in you, He wants to display it and He can. He who, what does it say? Phrase by phrase. He who what? Who began. He who began. And this in the Greek language of the New Testament is an aorist middle participle. Let me translate that. It means it's not over. It means it's not over yet. It means you are a work in progress. Turn to the person next to you, whether you know them or not, and say you are a work in progress. And let me say this. I see the guy in the back getting digits from the cute girl he's sitting next to. A little premature, a little premature. But I, look, you, he's, you're not finished. He's not finished with you. You're a work in progress. Turn to the person next to you, the same person, different person, and say, pardon the construction. <laughs> Have you noticed? Why does it take so long to say three words? Anyway, have you noticed next door... Next door, they're building a bank. And we've had to pardon the construction. And it looks like our business people at the church tell me, finance team, it all tells me that we're going to get a little money out of the deal and to pave our parking lot and do some good things. So we got to be what? We have to be patient. Anybody know me really well? Shh. I'm not that patient, right? I want the streets and the sidewalks to be fixed now. But it's coming. Good things are coming, but we have to pardon the construction. If you walk over there, and I do it a lot, I walk from my office to Babalu or somewhere. And as I walk, I've noticed a sign that says, you know, no entry beyond this point. But anybody that is going to gain access or entry has to wear a hard hat. They have to wear a safety vest and safety glasses. 
in order to enter. In other words, we got to be serious. I'm sure lawyers are involved in this, but we have to be serious about this because we are under construction. And he who began the aorist, that, that verb in the Greek, that idea there shows us that participle, that what? That, that he's still working on us, that something began, but it's not done yet. It, does it hurt today? Is it hard? Are you vexed by something in particular? Are you weighed down by something? It's not over. You are a work in progress. And I want to say to you, what you need is something God can produce in you. Patience. The ability to wait. Here's what I know about every human in the room. We hate to wait, but we have to wait. We hate to wait, but we have to wait. A woman's car stalls in traffic. A man behind her honks relentlessly on his horn. Eventually, she gets out of her car and walks to him and says, I tell you what, you look under my hood and I'll stay here and honk your horn. We are more times than not like the man honking. God calls us to wait, but who we become while we're waiting could be the most important thing. And it could be more important than what you're waiting on. That's pretty rich. Thank you. Isaiah 40 and verse 31. I bet some of you have it inscripted on something. It's just so good. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Here's what I want to tell you. You hate to wait, but you have to wait. And that's when God will produce who He wants you to be. The work that He began... You're a work in progress. And here's the thing. You will face rejection. You will endure failure. Your heart will break. Your world will shatter. Construction is messy. It's never easy and clean. Wait on Him. And somebody needs to hear it this morning. He's begun a good work in you. He began the work. And it's only begun. I don't care how old you are. It's only begun. He who began a good work. A good work. Do you know that the only kind of work that God does is good? Can't say that about me and you. But that's all He does. God does a good work. In Genesis, this magnificent opening chapter of the best-selling book of all time, these, these phrases are familiar worldwide. And in this in this book, in, in Genesis 1, 2, and 3, I say this often to some degree of controversy, okay? But Genesis 1, 2, and 3 is never say it wasn't written as an article for a scientific journal. It was written as Hebrew poetry with beauty and rhythm. And so we have to be careful how we read it and how we understand it. In Genesis, and the story changes, okay? If you're looking for science, you're going to see a jarring contradiction right when you start reading the Bible. Okay, so in Genesis chapter one, God is referred to as Elohim. And in Genesis two and three, he's referred to as Yahweh. And we see some different components of the story. We see this beautiful rhythm that poetry has. God spoke and it was accomplished and he saw and he said. And rhythmically, it's repeated over and over again. It's not about how God created the world, not how he did it, but it's about 
who created and why. And ultimately, there is a creator. We are not a random collection of molecules. This isn't a cosmic coincidence or, or a meaningless accident. There is a creative designer who made us. And Copernicus and Galileo and the Hubble telescope and other people and devices have altered and expanded the way that we understand our planet and our universe. And I invite you to join with me to appreciate the scriptures and to appreciate science and to realize that all truth is God's truth and everything that's expanded and shed light on is a beautiful thing. It is God's truth and it causes me, join me, it causes me to have greater reverence and awe and appreciation for the creator. And when he created, I mean, look, I've just come back from the Grand Canyon and the Dominican Republic. There's a lot of beauty uh, in this world. He made this, God made it, and he made us. And we are to respond with a sense of worship because he made us. He began a good work. But hold up a second. Creation, we debate and discuss and dissect it all the time, but creation was a long time ago. God, what have you done for me? Lord, what have you done for me lately? You ever pray that? I think it's a heart cry for us all the time. Habakkuk chapter 3 and verse 2. Lord, I've heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds. Lord, repeat them in our day. In our time, make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. This heart cry. What's he saying here? He's saying, God, you created the heavens and the earth. You began a nation called Israel. You gave them the Torah at Mount Sinai. You raised up David and Elijah and Ruth. But Lord, but Lord, in our day, in our time, and that's the ache of the heart. These times are different than those times. We're living in these times. And while we appreciate those times and learn from those times, we live in these. And there's an ache in our heart and there ought to be if blood is pulsing through your veins. If you have another breath left, there ought to be this heart cry of, Lord, in our day, in our time, be famous, make your deeds known. And what's happening? There is racial profiling. There is political venom. We're polluting our oceans with plastic by the billions of gallons every year. It's a toxic environment. Common sense doesn't seem common anymore. Uh, there's a rudeness is on the rise. There is global problems and poverty and a lack of education and rampant ignorance and misunderstanding. And Lord, we want you to work in our time. And as you'll hear, be reminded of at the end of the sermon, there's human trafficking where children are being bought and sold. Lord, work in our time. Let your deeds be known in our day. God does a good work and He calls us to summon that work to our day. To be involved in it in our day. Thank you. We might become a different church after all. <laughs> he, not you, you didn't, begin a, you didn't begin a work. He who began a good work. In you. This is when it gets personal. Not a work in nature. Not a work with a nation of Israel. Not a work through Jesus. A work in you. 
it gets really personal. It's easy to doubt His work. When we don't see it manifest, we don't, when we don't see the physical expression of it, when we walk through the thorns, and the thistles, and the problems that we have. He who began a good work in you. Sooner or later, if you're really young, you'll need to hear this. If you're my age or anywhere, you know, decade or two removed, you're like, amen, brother. But sooner or later, you will run right into your inadequacy. Right? Have a friend. We have a friend, Tim Muehlhoff. He used to travel and speak with Campus Crusade for Christ's family life ministry. He and his wife, Noreen, had a talk. They would deliver around the circuit, around the country. And it was called, it was entitled... Uh, Ten Commandments of Raising Complete Kids. And then they had a kid. And he changed the title of the talk to Ten Hints for Parents. And then they had a second kid. And he changed the name of the speech to some a few tentative suggestions for fellow strugglers. And after... Their third child, Shannon, you just had your fifth, but after their third child, he just gave up the talk altogether. <laughs> Life will humble you. Now look, I love experts. We've got some experts. Fondred is a blessed. We've got, we've got some experts in the room. Some of you can, you can fly a plane. You can perform surgery. You can play a violin. You can do small engine repair. Uh, you can fix things around the house. That's why I love you and invite you over to my house. Like some of you are experts in doing things. Don't you love experts? Like a competent person. Like we need that. It, it fuels our economy. And that is a good thing. But let me tell you, when it comes to the big things of life, it just humbles you, doesn't it? And you will bump up against your inadequacy. But He who began a good work in you, He is working. You cannot convict your life of sin. You cannot create yourself. You cannot activate the spiritual gifts of your life. You cannot grow spiritual fruit in your life. You cannot align yourself with God's purposes in life, you need Him to do that. And He desires to do that in you. Not in mama and them. Not in the previous generation. Not that future you that's going to get things right later. But in you today. He who began a good work in you, what does it say? Will complete it. He will complete it. He will finish that work. There's something circulating around now called six phases of a project, those of you in a work environment. And they walk through the phases of any project that happens. And there's first, there's uh, enthusiasm. Then there's disillusionment. Then there's panic. Then there's, there's search for the guilty. And then there's punishment for the innocent. And then there's praise and recognition uh, for those who were not involved in the project. And, you know, we just don't finish well, do we? Like we start things and we have good intentions, but we don't finish. But God throws a complete game. God is the great finisher and He will complete the work that He's done in you. A few years ago, I read a Los Angeles Times article about a man who visited his boyhood home 20 years later. And he, was, he had access to his house and he went in and he was up in the attic at one point and he found one of his old coats and he took out the coat and he went into a pocket and lo and behold, there's a receipt and 20 years later, he's jogging his memory bank, and this receipt reminded him that he took a pair of shoes in to have them repaired. 
And later, on a whim, when he was driving around, he looked, and lo and behold, there is the shoe repair shop, still there, still in business. He walks in and hands his receipt to the lady behind the counter. She goes to the back of the store. The clerk comes back, and she says to him, they'll be ready on Tuesday. (laughs) You and I, look, we don't finish well. We're all about quality starts. But God is one who finishes. Look at Deuteronomy 7, 9. This brings me great joy to see His faithfulness in my life. Know know therefore that the Lord your God is God. He's the what? The faithful God. He's the one who completes it. Keeping His covenant of love to a thousand generations of those who love Him and keep His commandments. He is faithful. Great is thy faithfulness. O God, our Father. There is no shadow of turning with thee. He doesn't fail us, does he? We fail each other time and time again. Who have you failed? Make a phone call. Have a conversation. Apologize because you let somebody down. It's what we do by nature. But God is faithful and he completes the work that he started. It's who he is. We're going to do a jet tour through Philippians in these few weeks as we wrap up the summer season. I want to just show you a few passages that talk about our response to a God who is faithful, who completes a work in us. It's kind of our part. Philippians 1.27, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or I'm absent, I may what hear of you, that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Philippians 3. 13, 14. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it on my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Philippians 1, 4. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. The gospel beckons us to be patient and to wait on Him, to realize that it's not a work that you and I have started, it's His work. He does good work. And He began something in you and He wants to complete it. And our part is to stand firm in that. That gives me great joy. It produces in me gospel. Notice He uses that word twice in that one verse. It produces in me gospel enjoyment. I can move away from being a negative, irritable, stressed person into one that is joyful and grateful and generous. My life is not my own. He has made me. He has begun this work in me and He is a starter and He is a completer. The band is going to make their way up front now and as they are, I'm going to bring up someone that I have admired for seven plus years now. I've been connected with her as we have been partnered together And in the weeks ahead, you're going to see the word partnership used in this letter of Philippians. And Allie, if you would make your way up. Allie Mellon is Drew Mellon's brother. Drew has a wife named Allie Mellon. He has a sister named Allie Mellon. This is really confusing, isn't it? But Allie Mellon serves in Phnom Penh in Cambodia. The reach goes further than that. But she has been just a joy to get to know. She grew up in Clinton, um, has lived here for many, many years, and a bunch of years ago moved over to one of the just the parts of the world that has in some ways been the epicenter of human trafficking. 
And uh, she has brought the gospel there in community, intentional about that, prayerful on mission to see the light go forth, to see the gospel penetrate this darkness. And it has been uh, great to watch. If you have been to Cambodia with Fondren Church, would you just clap, let us know. You, there's a handful of you who have been. I know it's impactful to see this uh, firsthand. And Allie, tell us, uh, we're talking about the gospel and community and mission, about standing firm and seeing God finish a work in us. What's the work there um, in Phnom Penh when it comes to human trafficking and your ministry? And how has your partnership, our partnership with you, been a blessing this year? Um, well, I'm so excited, Robert, that y'all are beginning um, the study of Philippians because Philippians 1 talks about the partnership Paul has with the Philippians to further the gospel. And it's not about Paul and just what Paul is doing. It's about this group of people who care deeply about him and support the work that he does. So it's not just about what he's doing. It's about what they are doing together. And Fondren Church, if for, for those of you who may be new, are our deepest partners in the Hard Places community. You guys uh, partner with us to make what we do in Cambodia happen. You're not just people who, who write a check. You're people who work together with us to further the gospel. And the most exciting thing that's happened lately is a um, it, it's your fruit. This is the fruit of your labor, of you enabling us to do what we do overseas. And um, it's a story of a little girl named Shreini. Um, Shreini was five years old when she was first sold uh, for sex by her father. And she was sold to the chief of police in our community at five years old. Um, we have a witness who was in the guest house that day who, who saw this take place. They heard her crying in the hall because she didn't want to go into the room. Um, the father beat her, forced her to go into the room. And when it was over, uh, the chief of police made her pay the man downstairs at the desk for their time in that room. And that was only the beginning. So she had just years of, of horrible, horrible abuse. Um, but because of our partnership with Fondren, because of what you guys uh, have done, we were able this year, she's 15 years old now, and we were able to bring her on staff with us. And so she is working every day in our center. Um, she is healthy. She has been through a recovery process. And she shows up every day about 45 minutes before the day doors even open because she cannot wait to come into that place and share the love of Jesus with other kids who are, who are hurting. Yeah. And so things like that. That's just one. Um, that's just one of a hundred stories I could tell about your partnership with the Hard Places community. So, just on behalf of myself and my brother Drew, I just thank you, thank you so much um, for what you mean to us, and we want you to know that we truly consider you our partners. Yeah, thank you. You, you take that mic away, and uh, as you walk off stage, let's thank Allie for her ministry. She has. She's given us a lot of credit, and it does make us proud. It makes me proud and our leadership proud to know that uh, we can have such a significant involvement over there. But she's there daily. She's there. If you think of like a Boys and Girls Club in America, picture that over there. Uh, and it's just a regular thing on the ground. And there's mercy and there's justice and just love being poured out. 
and they're, uh, they're making a difference. I held up the front page of Christianity Today last summer. Anybody remember and talked about the church, how it's growing, and the industry over there, this evil, awful industry, how it's waning, and it's because of people like Allie Mellon and the Hard Places Ministry. Isn't that a great thing? Van will uh, Van will close out our service at the very, very, very end. Don't go, and he'll tell you some information about the ministry, how you can pick something up before you go, and even go to an interest meeting right now. That's no coincidence. Uh, good strategy there on Allie's part, but you would be invited. Uh, you could punch your lunch plans and come here and uh, be a part of it. Would you stand with me? Uh, guys, can we put Philippians 1.6 back up again? Um, and I promised us we would say it out loud. Let's read it out loud together with a little bit of gusto. Ready? And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. He is our God. He is the beginning and the end, the Alpha and Omega, the first and the last, the author of our faith and the perfecter of our faith. He's the starter and He's the closer. God never needs bullpen relief. He never goes to the dugout and puts ice on His shoulder and watches another guy finish what He started. Never. That's not your God.